If you want to take your Bible, we're going to go to Hebrews chapter 13. And uh, I don't know about y'all, but uh, have you ever thought about this? Like you go to the greeting card section, like at Ace, or you go to a Hallmark store, or you go to United, you want to get a or Walmart, you want to get a greeting card. Have you noticed all these sections that they have? You know, it's just incredible how many they've thought of. Like, you know, uh, you know, birthday for nephew, birthday for niece. Uh, you know, congratulations to nephew. Congratulations to grandson. Congratulations to granddaughter. You know, graduation for grandson. Graduation for granddaughter. <clears throat> you know, I got to tell you, you know who's laughing all the way to the bank? Are those people that came up with the card in the section that says blank inside. All right. I mean, you think about that. You know, those folks, man, they have got it made. I got a couple here. I went and got this week. I paid five bucks for this card. All right. It's blank inside. All right. There's not a limerick. There's not a haiku. Uh, man, there's nothing in there. All right. It is totally, totally blank. And, you know, these guys, like I said, uh, can you imagine being in the R&D meeting? It's like, hey, I really think that what we really need is a picture of a seashell on the front of our blank inside card. That's really going to bring them in. We're going to make all kinds of money. And I can't believe you would pay five bucks for that. But this one I would pay five dollars for. Is that not cute? All right, the little dog wearing the glasses. All right, that is really, really great. But again, I mean, it is, it is blank inside. Okay, there's no, there's no rhyme. There's no poem. There's nothing there. It's just blank inside. And I want to ask you to think about this with me for a moment. Uh, when you see a card that's blank inside, you know, have you ever felt like that? You know, when you get really honest for a minute, you just kind of just feel blank inside. Because sometimes life gets that way, doesn't it? Sometimes life can get very, very overwhelming. And when life gets really overwhelming, it can just feel like, man, I'm just, I'm just existing. I'm just going through the motions. Sometimes we feel kind of numb inside. We feel kind of blank inside. And let's be honest, there are times as Christians, we might even we might open up our scriptures, we might open up our Bible and say, Lord, I really need to hear from you. And when you open up your Bible and you're desperate to hear from the Lord, it just feels like it's kind of blank inside, you know? And sometimes that can happen to us. And so this is kind of a standalone message today. Because like I said, Michael mentioned a couple of times, just got a lot going on in a lot of people's lives right now. Kind of thought 2020 might kind of be like, you know, the worst, and then maybe things will get better. It just seems like, you know, the blows just kind of keep coming. And the circumstances of your life at present might be confusing, disappointing, maybe even uh, painful. And today, no matter what you're facing, I just want to share this with you today. Uh, you don't have to be afraid. You say, Les, how can you say that? You know, how can you say something like that? You don't know what's going on in my life. And so here's what I want to talk to you about today. The title is, You Have All You Need. Right, this is just something that was on my heart this week. So I was just thinking about all the stuff that's been going on. And I just had this I wanted to share with my church family. And a lot of this is going to be, you know, uh, pretty basic Christianity 101. But it's just things I need to remind myself of this week because my heart needed it as well. You know, confidence is so critical to life, isn't it? And I want you to hear this today, that you have all that you need to walk in God's plan for your life, and God's plan for your life is the perfect place for you to be regardless of how it might look, how it might feel, or what other people might even say to you or say about it. Because God's plan for you and for me is the place of peace. The book of Hebrews, uh, the very, very end, Hebrews chapter 13, we're going to start at verse 20. 
So here is the very conclusion of this really long book in our New Testament. A lot of people think the Apostle Paul wrote the book of Hebrews. We don't know for certain. It might have been that great New Testament teacher named Apollos. It could have been Barnabas. Uh, we don't really know for certain, but it's an incredible, incredible book in our Bible. And he ends the book this way. Verse 20. May the God of peace, and this is going to be up on the screen in the New Living Translation. May the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, equip you with everything good for doing his will. And may he work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. And you, know, you might stop there and you say, wow, that's, that's really a great, great verse of Scripture. That's really, really nice. Look at verse 22. Brothers, I urge you to bear with my word of exhortation, for I've written you only a short letter. <laughs> only a preacher would say that, right? It's only a short letter, right? It's very, actually, very long. Look at verse 23. I want you to know that our brother Timothy has been released. And if he arrives soon, I will come with him to see you. Did you catch that dichotomy there? Hey, Timothy, you just got out of jail. All right? And, you know, we're going to come see you pretty soon because he's been released from prison. Why was he there? It wasn't, la it wasn't larceny or anything like that. It was for preaching the message of the gospel. That's why he was in prison. And yet, here he is saying, may the God of peace who brought, you know, our, our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, equip you with everything for doing his will, and may he work what is pleasing in your heart. And so I want you to think about that with you for a moment. This verse of Scripture is telling you and me, we cannot separate the peace of God from the will of God. Those two things are inextricably bound together in our lives. And so that means that every waking moment of our lives, we want to be walking in the will of God. And every waking moment of your life and mine is a walking moment, a walking in God's will moment. The psalmist says, God, I delight to do your will. And that should be the impetus of our heart. Lord, I delight to do your will. And we do drift out of God's will for our lives. And any moment that we do that, the price that we pay is always the same. It's peace. Things like fear and worry, anxiety, discouragement, restlessness, and distress, those things can dominate our lives. And they can cause us to drift out of the will of God. You know, there are four big things that cause you and I to drift out of God's will. The first one is confusion. He's like, I don't know what God's will is in this situation. And I bet everybody in here is facing a certain situation. Like, I wish I clearly knew exactly what God wants me to do next. I understand that. Another one is just rebellion. You know, sometimes it's like, man, I know what God's will is clearly in this situation but I know what I want to do, and I know what God wants me to do. I'm going to do what I want to do. And the price we pay is peace. Another one is just discouragement. You know, when your knuckles are dragging the ground, it can kind of cause you to veer off course, right? You know, when you're just so discouraged. And another one is pain. Sometimes when we're in a lot of pain, we kind of just lose all sense of what's going on around us, and we become very narcissistic, and all we can think about is our own selves, our own needs, and we can kind of lose focus on every other thing and every other relationship, but particularly our relationship with our Father in heaven. But God is constantly prompting you and me to stay in his will for our lives. And so God is faithful to you and me to <clears throat> adjust our course 
or to you know, prompt us to stay on his path, to stay in his will. Why? Because that's the place of peace. Isaiah 26.3 says, He will keep in perfect peace the one whose mind is focused on you because he takes refuge in you. All of us know this right now. We've been hearing it for years now that anxiety levels in America are at record levels. And, and people are struggling with this more than they ever have before. And what is happening? So many people are drifting out of God's will for their lives in every waking and walking moment of their lives. And so this is why we lose peace and we gain anxiety because in every waking and walking moment of our life, we're drifting out of the will of God. So what does God use to adjust your course and mine? What should we look to if we feel like we're drifting out of God's will? Where should we go? Number one is this, the incomparable words of God. You know, the book of Jude, the very end of your Bible, it's only 461 words in the original language. It's like the Wolverine of the New Testament. It's little, but it's powerful, all right? And then he says this in Jude chapter 1, verse 3. He said, I was very eager to write to you about the salvation that we share. He said, I felt I had to write and urge you to contend for the faith that was once for all entrusted to the saints. The faith, what does he mean by the faith? This is this body of truth that you and I, that we, that we put our faith and our trust in, that we rely on as we brave the dark, as we go out and we live our lives, as we brave the dark. And this is the truth that was spoken by Jesus and his apostles and then the Old Testament books that they quoted often. And notice that phrase, once for all. When it comes to having the, the truth revealed to us, we've been given all we need, one time, for all. And no other writings, no matter how popular they are in the world, can compare to or compete with the Word of God when it comes to finding peace in your life. And so when life is draining and you are drifting, you have God's Word to revive you. You say, but I open it up and it just, it's like blank inside. Yes, but persevere, continue, push, all right? Just keep prodding along, all right? Keep slogging through because God is speaking to you. God is changing you. Look at uh, Psalm chapter 19. going to come up on your screen. David said this, The law of the Lord is perfect. It revives the soul. The testimony of the Lord is trustworthy. It gives wisdom to the inexperienced. The precepts of the Lord are right. They give joy to the heart. The commandment of the Lord is bright. It gives light to the eyes. The just decrees of the Lord are truth. They are altogether righteous. You say, well, unless you're a preacher, you're supposed to say that. Why am I up here doing this? Believe me, this is not inside my personality, all right? But when I was in college, I began to look to the Word of God for, for peace, to know God's will, et cetera, et cetera. And it changed my life radically. And so, yes, here I am trying to give to people what was given to me. And so, absolutely, it means so much to me. Look at that word law for a minute. There are five descriptors here for the Word of God, what it is and what it does for us. That word law, David says it revives the soul. The laws of God have a restorative quality. It brings healing to the inner man. Look at that word testimony. Uh, when In the book of Exodus, when the tablets of the Ten Commandments were given to Moses, they were called the tablets of the testimony. You see, back in ancient times in the various pantheons of the ancient gods, the gods of the ancient world 
as people understood them and talked about them in our mythology, they were like abusive parents, all right? They were very demanding, but they were unpredictable, they were secretive, they were inconsistent, and they were illogical. But then there came the Ten Commandments, and there came the covenants. And the God of the Hebrew people, he was forthright. He was predictable. He made covenant agreements, and he stuck to them. And the testimony of God is predictable. And so they discovered God's creation is predictable. It is consistent. And this consistency and this predictability that we began to see in God and his creation, this became the basis for what we today call science. And ladies and gentlemen, I just say today that there's nothing that man can learn through research that God has not already given through revelation. And David tells us that it's a source of wisdom to anyone who's ready to receive it. What is wisdom? Wisdom is a word that comes from the word in Hebrew for skill. Skill for living. That's what the testimony gives us. Then that word precepts. When you think about the law of God, we're always being think, we're always think, well, the Bible is always telling me what not to do. And there are so many places God's word is telling you and me what to do. And that's what that word precept means. It's a poetic word that means this is when God gives you a prescription for life. Do this and live, he says, in so many places. And when we do this and live, we receive a gift. David said it's the gift of joy. And then there's the idea of commandments. The, idea, the commandment is like, think about being a soldier and getting a command from your commanding officer. It is for you and you alone. It's personal. This is why David tells us that God's commandments, it's when God's word gets personal and it gives light to the eyes. It's like suddenly, oh, now I know what I'm supposed to do. And that's what it does for us. And there are times when you're struggling, you turn to the Word of God, and you get what you need. It may not be for somebody else, but you get what you need. Jesus said to his disciples, when I leave, I'm going to leave you with a counselor, and he is going to guide you into all truth. All right? It gets personal. And that last word is the word decrees. When you think about decrees, that kind of means the the, the boundaries and the rules that we have to have in a society to have a peaceful society. And so the idea here is that God gives us boundaries to live within, not to confine us, not because God is a cosmic killjoy, but because those things bring us freedom within the boundaries and the confines of God's word. We find freedom, we find joy, and ultimately we find peace. So yes, the incomparable word of God, ladies and gentlemen, when life is hard, you just feel blank inside. Yes. But number two, the indwelling presence of God. I think I might have mentioned this to you all before, but I thought it was so appropriate here. You know, when I was a kid, uh, man, we, I grew up in South Texas and, you know, between Victoria and Goliad, we had a beautiful place out in the country, you know, big oak trees, you know, and everybody had lots of acreage, had a beautiful home, et cetera, et cetera. And mom and dad decided that we were going to move to a job site in Craig, Colorado. <clears throat> they bought a travel trailer, and we moved to Shadow Mountain Trailer Park. 
all right, we got a trailer space that was not as big as this room here, about half as big as this room right now, and we put a 30-foot travel trailer in there, and uh, my sister's here today, and my sister and I, our bedroom was, uh, it's a fifth-wheel travel trailer, so up above the pickup bed, that, that, that little part up there, that was our bedroom up there, okay, and it was really amazing. You know, I went from having a, a big bedroom with a walk-in closet to living, you know, having a one, this little, little trailer park, uh, trailer in the trailer park. And I could look out my window about that far and see the next trailer. <laughs> All right, that's what it was. And uh, a guy came by and invited our family to church, Calvary Baptist Church. I went, had no idea what we were getting into. There was an altar call that morning. Does anybody here want to know Jesus as their Savior? I was like, yes, I do. I'd never heard that before. It was good news to me. I walked down the aisle. I asked Christ to be my Savior. I was changed. I remember vividly going back to space number 288 at Shadow Mountain Trailer Park, going up, getting back from church, walked into the trailer, and I said, I'm going to go lay down for a minute. I laid down in that little bed up there in the fifth wheel park, <clears throat> and I remember looking out that window and just talking to God for the first time in my life. I just knew something was different and I just knew God was living in me nobody had told me that that day nobody had explained that to me but I just knew that that had happened for me that day you know in ancient Corinth there were massive temples to the gods like Aphrodite and Apollo and Hermes and their hope was that by building these massive temples that the gods themselves would come and dwell among them in these temples so that the city would be blessed by their presence. 1 Corinthians 6.19, Paul says, Don't you realize your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God. Peter says it this way, that every waking moment of your life, you are participating in the divine nature. Revelation 3.20, Jesus said, Look, I'm standing at the door and knocking. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in Come in, come in to be with them. Have dinner with them. They'll have dinner with me. You know, they're filming that Yellowstone thing, 1883 back here. I hadn't watched it, you know, but I heard that was going on. <laughs> and so just think about this. What if, what if Taylor Sheridan called you up sometime this afternoon? And he's like, my name's Taylor Sheridan. I'm the producer of Yellowstone. And we're working on a new something, something, you know, it's called, you know, uh, Panhandle 1883. I don't know, whatever. We've got a new show coming out, and it's another, you know, offshoot of Yellowstone. Kevin Costner's going to be in it, and you probably didn't know this, but you and your family were at the plaza after church. Uh, Kevin was there. He saw you and your family, and he just came to me and said, you know what, I just want to kind of get the whole Panhandle experience. I want to go live with this family I saw eating at the plaza. All right, and I got their name. Here's their name. I want to go live with, you know, the Orcuts. I'm going to go live with the Orcuts, okay? I'm going to go live with the Maddens, okay? Somebody like that. Or the Myers. I'm going to go live with the Myers. And, uh, man, he calls you up and says, Is it okay if Kevin Costner comes and lives in your house for about three weeks while we're filming? You're like, yeah. <laughs> you know, all over Facebook, Kevin Costner's coming to my house. <laughs> you know, what would you do to your house? I mean, really, what would you do? I mean, you'd be blowing that place up. Right? We've got to paint. We've got to fix up. You know, you, you know you're calling the, you know, people to remodel, do this and that and the other. You'd be going crazy. Like, what am I going to wear? What am I going to say? What am I going to do? What are we going to eat? You'd be feeling, fixing these really great meals for him. 
You know, it's like, man, do y'all have veal every night? Yeah, yeah, we do. We do that every night, yeah. And you think about it, you would do everything in your power to bless Kevin Costner. And by the way, I hear he's not really a good dude, okay? You know, that's what I hear. Imagine that. How does that compare to having the God of all creation not come live in your home, your house, come live in your heart? Philippians 2. My dearest friend, Paul wrote, work out the salvation that God has given you with a proper sense of awe and responsibility. For it is God who is at work within you, giving you the will and the power to achieve his purpose. See, even when life is hard, confusing, difficult, and painful, you know that you know that you know God is at work within you, achieving his purpose. So when I'm drained, discouraged, distressed, and I'm drifting out of the will of God, I have to remember, the Spirit of God is within me. I have all I need. 1 Corinthians 2, Paul said it this way, We did not receive the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit is from God. We speak about things not in words taught by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit, combining spiritual truth with spiritual words. Why? Because we have the mind of Christ. I've never been able to wrap my mind around having the mind of Christ. I'll be honest with you. That somehow the same thoughts that brought about all of this creation are tumbling around inside my mind as well. But that's what the Bible tells us. The next one is this. What keeps us from drifting? We want to be walking in the will of God every waking minute of our life. It's the immeasurable love of God. Ladies and gentlemen, there's, you, you can't think about this enough. You can't dwell on this enough the love that God has for you. You know, I, I think so many people have asked me about my mom today. Not, you might not all know, uh, but last week, mom had a stroke, and uh, it's, been, it's been really hard. You know, she's, uh, she really needs your prayers today. She really, really does. She's not doing well. So she was in the hospital for a week, and I got the phone call while I was at youth camp, and it was really a struggle. You know, do I leave youth camp? Do I stay? And, you know, I got some really great counsel from Gina and Emily, you know, and stayed and got there, but this last Wednesday, uh, we took mom from the hospital and moved her to the rehab, and every time you say rehab, like, my mom's not on a crack pipe, you know, she's, <laughs> you know, she just had a stroke, you know, you feel like every time you say rehab, you have to try to, you know, quantify that, but leaving her there Wednesday evening, <clears throat> I gotta tell you, man, I, I almost couldn't leave the room, I mean, she's sitting there in her bed, and, you know, you can kind of just tell she's just bewildered and confused. And, and I, I almost couldn't leave the room. And I just felt this overwhelming love for my mother. And I, I, I really think I, I could have put up a cot in there and just stayed with her for as long as she needed. I, I, I think I could have done it. But the nurse could tell I was kind of struggling. And she comes up and she says, hey, we're going to take good care of her. And my sister was there. She could sense something, too. She kind of patted me on the shoulder. Like, hey, Mom's going to be all right, you know. And I know the love that I felt for my mother in that moment doesn't even begin to etch the surface 
of the love that God has for you and for me. There is no human calculation that could ever quantify the love of God. This is why Paul said in Romans chapter 8, no matter what comes, we will always taste victory through him who loved us. For I have every confidence that nothing, not death, not life, nor angels, nor demons, the present, the future, the spiritual powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any created thing can separate us from the love of God that is found in Christ Jesus. And I shared that with my mom yesterday. You see, we're drifting because of distress, discouragement. We have to begin to meditate on the love of God that is revealed to us in Jesus. Just try to wrap your mind around this salvation. The Son of God, the sinless, perfectly obedient, regal, noble, honorable, powerful Son of God going to that wicked, cruel, barbaric cross for you. You see, God gave His sinless Son the punishment that you deserved so that He could give you the blessing that He deserved, that He had earned. God treated His Son Jesus as if he had lived your life so that he could treat you as if you had lived Jesus' life, a life of perfect obedience, perfect honor, perfect love in every waking and walking moment. You know, Jeremiah the prophet witnessed the utter devastation and downfall of his nation, Israel. Babylon invaded Israel. And those people they didn't kill, they enslaved. And they tore down every dwelling in the city. And they tore down every wall, including the fortress walls around the city. And he said this in Lamentations chapter 3, as he's watching the people be deported. He said, My splendor is gone and all that I had hoped from the Lord. My soul is downcast within me, yet this I call to mind. And therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. And I say to myself, the Lord is my portion, therefore I will wait for him. And the Lord is good to those whose hope is in him. Do you see what, do you see what Jeremiah did there? He said this, yet this I call to mind. And he says in another place, I say this to myself. You see, when life gets really, really hard, life gets really discouraging, I want to ask you to think about this. What are you calling to mind? What are you saying to yourself? Far, far more people in our culture, when life gets difficult and painful and confusing, they're just going to say, God doesn't love me anymore. They start to deconstruct their faith. You know, there's, there's suffering in my life, I can't explain it, so I'm just going to walk out on God. What do you say to yourself? See, Jeremiah says the circumstances of our lives could never be a measuring stick for God's love. Only the cross. The only measuring stick for the love of God is the pentibulum. It's that cross beam in the cross when Jesus stretched out his hand and died for you. You see, there's no circumstance in life, no matter how good it is. Man, life is good. Man, God loves me. <laughs> Wait a minute. Be careful. <laughs> you know, no matter how bad it is, God doesn't love me. 
There's no circumstance in life that should ever be the measuring stick for how much love God has for you. So everything around him is broken, it's burning. And Jeremiah calls to mind, I say to myself, God loves me. He has a great love for me. And yes, this thing came into my life, but it had to pass through the hands of a loving father first. Which brings us to our last thing. When you're really struggling, all right, to walk in the will of God when life is hard, the thing you want to remember as much as anything else is that the work of God is imperceptible. I don't know if you might have seen this week. It's been so exciting. This brand new telescope that that uh, it's about a million miles from Earth, the James Webb Telescope, and NASA has been getting back images, and they are stunning. And what can happen is that this telescope can see the faintest wavelength of infrared light in the farthest reaches of space. You see this picture up here. The picture that's on your left was taken with the Hubble Telescope, and we saw it. We're like, no, it's called the Fingers of Creation. Isn't it great? And everybody's like, wow, that's amazing. That one on the right is with the James Webb Telescope. Look at how much more you can see. And so many of those dots you see are galaxies. And so there's an article that I saw this week. I ran across it. And the article said, Has the Webb Telescope found God? Because they think pretty soon they're going to be able to see to the edge of our known universe with the James Webb Telescope. Whoa! All right? And we're going to see God. 1 Timothy 1.17 says, Worship and glory belong forever to the eternal King, the immortal, invisible, and only God. You see, we worship a God who is invisible. And this is a great truth that the Bible hammers home to you and to me time after time after time. That there is an unseen realm of reality all around us that no human technology could ever pierce. Even NASA, all right? Even the NIH with the you know, electron microscopes, the telescopes, we can't do it. And there's actually more to this reality than we could ever begin to imagine. And it's actually more real than where we live right now. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, the Paul, Paul said this, this is why we never collapse, he said. These little troubles that we have are really so transitory and they're winning for us a permanent, glorious, and solid reward that is all out of proportion to our pain. For we are looking all the time, not at the visible things, but the what? The invisible. The visible things are transitory. They're, they're uh, temporary. It is the invisible things that are really permanent. They are eternal. Most people would look at the invisibility of God and say, well, that's really a hindrance to life in God, you know? But the truth is, God's invisibility is essential to you and me in a life, in a world as broken as ours is. You see, God's invisibility makes faith a necessity. After the fall of man, you have the invisibility of God. God kind of disappeared. He used to walk in the cool of the day among the man and the woman, and they would see him with their own eyes. But after the fall of man, suddenly God becomes invisible. Why? God wants you and me to grow in this thing called faith. 
Why? Because love is an act of faith. Now, have you ever thought about that? It's true. I got to do a wedding a few weeks ago. What's happening there? This beautiful young lady, this handsome young man, they're putting their faith in each other. Love is an act of faith. Think about this. Think for a minute about the most loving person you know. Might be a grandmother, mother, father, grandfather, something like that. I will guarantee you, the most loving person you know is also a person with a great faith in God. You notice this triad all the time in the New Testament. Faith, hope, and love. Why is that? Faith produces hope, and then hope generates love in the human heart. This is why God wants you to wants to grow your faith so that it will grow you in love. And so when something goes wrong, at least in our perception it's wrong, all right, uh, God is growing your faith. And you can be absolutely confident God is working in the unseen realm on your behalf. Isaiah 64, 4 says this, For since the world began, no ear has heard, no eye has ever seen a God like you who works for those who wait for him. You know, no matter what's going on in your life, you can know that you know that you know. You can't see it. It's invisible. But you can know God is working. God is working on your behalf. When Joseph was in his prison cell, in his eyes, everything was going wrong. But it was going more right than he could have ever imagined. He's being prepared to go from the prison to the palace. When Moses, who was a prince of Egypt, was shepherding sheep out in the desert, everything in his mind had gone wrong, but it was going so right. Peter, he watched his rabbi, his teacher, he, his Lord. He left everything to follow him. And he saw him be crucified and beaten, then encased in a tomb. Everything had gone so incredibly wrong. He had so foolishly given up so much and gotten nothing for it. But how could he know? Everything was going so right because inside that tomb, God was raising his son to life. When Paul was under house arrest in Rome, he was chained to a centurion 24-7. He wanted to travel, have his freedom to go out and share the gospel, the good news of, of Jesus. And he, had, he was restricted to that prison cell. It looked like everything had gone so wrong, but in reality, it was going so very right. And he said that to the Philippians. He said, I want to report to you, friends, that my imprisonment here has had the opposite of its intended effect. Instead of being squelched, the message has actually prospered. All the soldiers here found out that I'm in jail because of this Messiah. That piqued their curiosity, and now they've learned all about him. What do you think Paul talked to those soldiers about when they were chained together 24-7? Probably not Roman politics, okay? I'm sure it was the gospel. So we must believe that the invisible God is always at work in the unseen realm on our behalf. And he uses all of the resources at his disposal to accomplish his perfect will for you and for me. And that you and I have infinite resources at our disposal in the unseen realm that we can tap into when we are drifting, when we're discouraged, when we're distressed and hurting. Every day, every waking moment, walking 
in the will of God. Psalm 57. I cry out to God most high, to God who will fulfill his purpose for me. He will send help from heaven to rescue me. So I want us to finish with this today. We started off with this verse, Hebrews chapter 13. And may the God of peace who brought up our, from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, and ratified an eternal covenant with his blood, may he equip you with all you need for doing his will. May he produce in you, through the power of Jesus Christ, every good thing that is pleasing to him. I want to ask you to think about that for a moment. You see, you have all you need. No matter what you're facing, no matter where you are, you have all you need. And that kind of confidence, that kind of confidence is so critical to living life, to believe to the uttermost, I have all that I need. God's power is always at work in you. It's always at work for you. You may not be able to see it, but it's always there, producing good things. Things that please him. Because ladies and gentlemen, that's where we want to be. In the will of God. Every walking and waking moment of our lives. Because the will of God is the place of peace. Truly. Can we bow our heads together this morning for a moment? I'd like to pray for us before we dismiss. So with our heads bowed and our eyes closed. I just want to ask you to stop and think for a moment. About where you are today. And if there is a great deal of stress and anxiety in your life today. There's distress in your life today. I just want you to go before the Lord in a very honest and real way and say, Lord, am I walking in your will? You know, there is a peace that passes all understanding that comes to the sons and daughters of God when they're walking in his will. He produces that peace. So I just want you to be really honest with the Lord today. So, Lord, am I, am I walking in your will today? Let's have that conversation for just a moment. Then I want to pray for us. And we'll be dismissed. Lord, I just want to thank you so much that you are using these things to always prompt us. To continually prompt us, Father, to be in that that sweet spot of life, Lord, which is your will. And Lord, I just lift up today that person here today who's struggling so much, Father, with distress and discouragement, despair. Father, I just ask that you would just give them every possible prompting in the power of your Holy Spirit, Father, to just drift back onto course and to be in your will today. And Father, I just ask that for all of us here today, Father, when... It appears as if everything has gone wrong, that we can have that confidence that everything's going okay. It's going all right. Lord, I pray that for every person here today. And Lord, we just love you so much. We pray for the Willis family today. We pray, Lord, for your supernatural peace today. We ask this in Jesus' name.